Would you turn your Bible, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 7, beginning with verse 21. And then turn in your Bible to John, chapter 20, beginning with verse 24. We're so grateful for all the beautiful music this morning and wonderful solos and we just are grateful for your presence. I want to speak on a difficult subject this morning. The choir began this service by saying, He is Lord. The early Christians sometimes would meet on the road and they would say, Christ is risen, and others would respond, Christ is risen indeed, and then they would say, He is Lord. Jerry Adamson told us at Camp Joy the other day about experience when he was a student at Western, and he got all excited about the things of God and went up to Western and called out, Jesus is Lord. Some people sort of looked at him sort of strangely. Dennis Harris told about being in high school and he said, I got excited about the things of God. And anybody that knew Dennis in those days knew that when he went, and went to high school, he was excited about the things of the Lord. God had his hand on him all the way through. And he got so excited, he did not go to a Christian school. He went to the Bowling Green High. I suppose it was Bowling Green. Maybe it was Warren Central. But anyway, he got so excited about the Lord that over in class, he saw some of the students that came here. And he thought they were just as excited as he was. And he was way down the hall, and he said, Jesus is Lord. And all of them ducked for their lockers and hid because they didn't want to be identified with a fanatic. Well, I want to tell you, when Jesus is Lord, if he's really Lord, you may be classed as a fanatic. A fanatic is one who is a fan about the things that he believes in. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in this place. We pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to every heart. This will be a day of rejoicing. May Christians, God's children, indeed get excited about the things of God. And may we say with all our hearts, not just our lips, but our lives, Jesus is Lord. And may someone who has never been able to say that before the service ends, may thy spirit move that heart until he too can say, Jesus is Lord. We pray in his name, the precious name of Jesus. Amen. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 21, not everyone, these are the words of Jesus, if you have a red-lettered Bible, they're in red, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out demons, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And in John chapter 20, beginning with verse 24, but Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, 
and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were inside and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, <clears throat> Reach here thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach here thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. The word Lord is used so many times in the Bible. It is a translation of the Greek word kurios. Kurios. Sometimes that word is used for politeness or courteousness. Uh, the master of a home, the head of a family. In the first century, in 1 Corinthians 8, 5, we read, there were lords many. The title was used in the pagan world. Each cult called the leader of its cult, Lord. And this is the reason Paul referred in 1 Corinthians 8, 5, you have lords many, because the Corinthians had come out of a pagan background. But the New Testament as well as the Old Testament, gave a new meaning to the word Lord. In the Old Testament, Lord denotes the active experience of His power, the power of God over the world and men as the creator and ruler, the giver of life and death, the sovereign authority. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, translated before Christ, the word Lord is a translation of Adonaiah. The Hebrew rabbis, when they would come to the covenant name for God, which was never pronounced, they would call that name Lord, Adonaiah. In the Hebrew Bible, there are no vowels, there are only consonants. And so no one has ever been sure exactly how to pronounce that covenant name of God. And that's the reason you have some today calling him Yahweh and others calling him Jehovah. Those are all based on the same consonants. The only problem is the Hebrew people never named his name. They, they would come to that in the text and they would say Adonaiah because the name was so holy, so powerful. It meant so much to them, that precious name that they dared not even speak it. That's the reason even to this day there's a mystery about that. And you hear some scholars talking about the Lord Yahweh and others talking about the Lord Jehovah. The Hebrews would say the Lord Adonaiah. In the New Testament, the word Lord refers to God the Father as Lord of heaven and earth. Most of the time, the word Lord is used to refer to Jesus. And it is used so interchangeably for Jesus and for God that the Nicene Council meeting in about 343 A.D. condemned the Arians who denied the deity of Jesus and they said the scriptures themselves testify to the fact that Jesus 
is Lord, that Jesus is Lord God. <clears throat> Therefore, those modern Arians among the cults that would come along and say that Jesus is not really God, that's no new doctrine. That's not anything new. It's as old as Christian history. And the, the fact is that the Scripture itself testifies to the fact that Jesus is Lord and the use of that word Lord interchangeably to refer to the God of heaven and earth and to the man Jesus Christ makes it obvious that those early writers of the New Testament led by the Holy Spirit believed that Jesus was God incarnate in human flesh. The Old Texts, the Old Testament texts written of Adonijah and Yahweh are applied to Jesus in the New Testament. Mark 1.3 quotes Isaiah 43, 40 verse 3, and says that was referring to Jesus. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. That's all about Jesus. That's what Mark said, under the impression of the Holy Spirit. In Malachi 3.1, Behold, the messenger whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Mark said, well, that refers to Jesus in, re, in, in his comment on it in the New Testament. That's the way it is all the way through the Scriptures. On the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus, who had persecuted the Christians, who had hated this man Jesus, was spoken to from heaven. And he told later that the God of my fathers spoke to me, and he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And so Saul, who hated Jesus, who hated the Christians, but loved God, was so assured that that voice that came to him was the voice of God the Father, and he said, I am Jesus, identifying himself, God the Father, and God the Son, as one. Now Mark speaks of Jesus as the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament said about the Lord God. For the angels in Luke 2.11, Jesus is called Christ the Lord. For Peter in Acts 10.30, he is the Lord of all. For Paul and James in 1 Corinthians 2.8 and James 2.1, he is the Lord of glory. For John, the beloved apostle, in Revelation 17, 14, he is the Lord of lords. And for Thomas, the passage we just read from John chapter 20, he is my Lord and my God. Now in the New Testament, the word Lord is applied to Jesus in a threefold way. First of all, he is called Lord because he is teacher and rabbi. He is the master. He is the Lord of his disciples. He is their guide and instructor. Secondly, he is spoken of as the exalted Messiah, my Lord, our Lord, reigning at the right hand of the Father, Yahweh. And thirdly, he is referred to as the sovereign ruler, evoking obedient service. Now I want to make an application and then I'll be through. I want to ask you, is he your Lord? He was the Lord of Peter and James and John. He was the Lord of James. He was the Lord of James, the writer, the Lord's half-brother. He was the Lord of glory. He was the Lord of Mark. 
All through the New Testament, we read that Jesus is Lord. Paul said to the Roman, Romans that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And all of those terms, Lord, refer to Jesus. And they infer everything that the Old Testament said about God and everything the New Testament said concerning the meaning of that term, Lord, sovereign, ruler, boss, director, the one who is altogether worthy of our trust, of our faith, of our followership. I just want to ask you, is he your Lord? Is he your sovereign? Is he your master? Is he your boss? Is he the one to whom you must one day give an account? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. That's for saved people. For the unsaved. And I saw heaven open. And the judgment was set. And the Ancient of Days did come. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's for the unsaved at the end of the age. And in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue should confess, Jesus Christ is Lord, Adonijah, Jehovah, Yahweh, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is sovereign, He is boss, He is master, He is director. And I want to ask us today, have we taken that seriously? I've heard people say, oh Lordy. I've heard in by words, oh Lord God. That's profanity. Probably was not meant to be profanity, but it is. It's a men's oath, taking the name of the Lord in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? When the choir sang, he is Lord. When we all sing, he is Lord. What do we mean by that? Thank God for folks who come and confess Jesus Christ is Lord. That passage in Philippians that we quoted a moment ago reminds us that there's coming a day when everything in heaven and everything on earth and everything under the earth, that means all the saved in heaven, all the rebellious people of earth, and everyone who has gone to hell will one day cry out, Jesus Christ is Lord. It'll be too late for the ones in hell. If we read the Bible correctly at the time this is said in the tribulation, it may be too late for those on earth who have rebelled against God, who have heard the truth and believed the lie. They'll still have to say, Jesus Christ is Lord, but it may be too late. Now I speak to two groups of people this morning. Number one, those who are saved, who have said in your heart, Jesus, come into my heart. I want you to be my Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you've called upon him and he lives in your heart, he is there. And I just want to ask you, is he really your Lord? 
your boss, your sovereign, your director. And the other group are those who are unsaved, who have never been saved, who have heard about God. Maybe you're here in the auditorium. Maybe you listen by radio. You've heard all about him. You know that Jesus died on the cross for us. You know that he was buried and three days later he was raised from the grave and he's alive today. You've heard all of that. Maybe you're like Larry King. Some of you are worshipers of Larry King. I listened to him to find out some of the things not to believe. The other day he had an argument with somebody who called in and said, I know there's a God. And he said, there isn't a God. You can't know there's a God. It's all metaphysical. There's no way you can know there's a God. That's that night talk show. If I've insulted one of your pet idols, please forgive me. There may be people that are like that who say, well, I don't know whether there's a God or not. But I'm talking about people who have come to grips with that. And I want to say there came a time in my life years ago when I was in college, I went through a little period of agnosticism. How foolish. How foolish. It was my own pride. Had nothing to do with whether there was a God or not. I pretended to say I didn't know whether there was a God, I didn't know whether heaven was real, and hell was real, and the Bible was real, and all that. That's just foolish. It was my own pride and vain imaginations. When I regained the balance of my mind, I came to understand that that was a thus saith my mind over a thus saith the Lord, and I yielded the allegiance of my heart to believe the Word of God. Now I'm talking to those who are unsaved, but who believe there is a God that one day you'll have to give an account to God. You have rejected Him. You have said no to the Lord of glory. And I want to encourage you to let the Lord come into your life. Now, first of all, I want to deal with those who are saved. Those who have said, Jesus is my Lord. And I just want to ask you a few questions. This is not an accusation, just a few questions. Number one, is He the Lord of your motives? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Verse 14, the love of Christ constrains us. The love of Christ constrains us. Now, what does that mean? The love of Christ, Paul said, that's the reason I keep going. It's not the love that I have for Christ in my heart. Thank God that many of the people in the auditorium today love the Lord. And you could get up and testify, I love the Lord. But how much did he love you? How much did he love me? It is his love in us that pulls us along. And if you can quit and sit on the sideline and just give up and quit, he's not Lord. Because Paul said, the reason I keep going when there are abuses, when there are shipwrecks, when I'm flogged, when I'm left for dead on the streets, the reason I keep going is the love of Christ constrains me. It is his motive inside of my heart. It is his lordship. Is Jesus Lord of your motives? Spurgeon. Spurgeon said everything got changed in a snowstorm one morning when I was a young teenager. I was lonely and deep in, in, in rebellion in my heart and I wanted something I didn't have. I started to go to a Baptist church. The church was closed because of the snow. The only church I could find was a little primitive Methodist church and I turned in there and the preacher didn't show up and just a few people were there. And an old man stood in the pulpit and read, read from Isaiah 45, look to the Lord. Look to the Lord all the ends of the earth and be saved. Look, look. And Spurgeon said, I looked that day to the Lord. And the Lord changed my motives. 
things I used to do, I don't, didn't want to do them anymore. The things I used to say, I didn't want to say them anymore. Jesus changed my life, my motives from the inside. Ebenezer Scrooge used to say humbug at everything. Humbug to the little boy who was about to die. Humbug to the, his nephew who was his em, employer, employee. And when he heard that it was Christmas and Bob Cratchit wanted to be off for Christmas, he said, Christmas, humbug. Until there came a series of apparitions in the night. This, the, the vision of Christmas past, the vision of Christmas present, the vision of Christmas to come. And all through that night, he had what the New Testament would call a change, a new, test, a, a new experience, a new birth. And everything about him changed. And the next morning, he looked out the window and he saw a paper boy going along selling papers. He said, hey boy, what day is this? The boy said, why, why, what day is this? This is Christmas Day. And Scrooge said, Merry Christmas. He'd been changed on the inside. Now I want to know if our motives have been changed. When they used to say, let's go to church. He said, I don't want to go to church. If Jesus is Lord, there'll be something inside that will compel you and say, I want to go to God's house. Even if I don't feel good, I want to go because Jesus is my Lord. Well, all the preacher does is preach for money. And they're always asking for offerings over there. That church is always asking for money. I want to tell you, my friend, when Jesus is Lord, you'll want to give your money to the kingdom of God. And if you have a Scrooge atmosphere in your life, a coldness and a chill, and you say, I don't want to give, check up on whether Jesus is Lord. Because when he is Lord, he will move on the inside of your heart. The motive will be there to give, to see the kingdom of God grow, to see the work of God glow. To see the gospel spread around the world because Jesus is Lord of my motives. Why do I do what I do? Why do I teach? I'm going to quit. I'm tired. Just going to quit. Nobody appreciates me. I'm going to quit being in the choir. I'm going to quit being an usher. I'm going to quit this and that and the other. I'm going to quit my class. Just going to quit the bus. Well, I want to ask you, for God's sake, why would you do it to begin with? If you just did it, just to be seen of men, your wife is built on wood, hay, and stubble. But if you did it because of Jesus, how can you quit if Jesus is Lord? How about our motives? I want to ask you, is Jesus Lord of our motives, those who are saved? Secondly, is Jesus Lord of our amusements, our play life? What would you say if I brought somebody to your house this afternoon that cussed and swore and used four-letter words and barnyard language and just filled your house with all that kind of stuff? Miss Gail, what would you say? What would you say? You'd say, leave. I want to tell you, I've got a house now. I don't want anybody to come there smoking. Now, I, I love smokers, but I hate smoke. Hate the cigarettes. Feel sorry for the suckers on the other side. I have a car. And a few years ago, a guy came over here, wanted something. It was cold winter. 
He wanted some food. and I didn't have anything to give him. I was going to take him to a restaurant and help him get some food. So we got in the car. And he lit up his cigarette. And I let the window down. It was zero outside. I bundled my coat up like that. And he looked at me and said, are you sort of warm? You got that cold air? Got that air? I said, no, I just uh, want to protect my lungs. He got the hint and put his cigarette out. Now I want to ask you, if I brought somebody to your house today that cussed and swore and used filthy four-letter words, and he talked about bragging about drinking beer and whiskey and drugs and all that, what would you say? Some of you said he, you'd ask him to leave or you wouldn't like it. But that's what you do when you turn that television on in your house. You let some things go on in your house that you wouldn't dream. You wouldn't let your son do. You wouldn't let your daughter do. You wouldn't let your husband do. You wouldn't let your wife do. But they come in there and cuss and swear, take God's name in vain and talk vulgar and filthy and sell their old beer and whiskey to you. You say, well, I'm strong enough. I don't have to take it. Your kids aren't that strong. I think one of the best things that could happen, you really think I'm way out in left field. Best thing that could happen is the television tube would break and you wouldn't have the money to replace it. You'd have more time to read and study and pray, read the Bible, have conversation with your family and get along with folks. Is he Lord of your amusement life? Where do you go for amusements? You run down to the movies all the time? I want to tell you, I used to go to the movies all the time. I don't know whether I'm going to have time to preach all this. I may have to preach it again another, another Sunday. But I used to go to the movies when I was a young teenager. I went to every one that Louisville had. I went to the Lowell's and the Brown and the and the Strand and the, can't even remember, Kentucky and the Ohio and all those theaters they had in Louisville. And I had to, I read all those magazines about that and all the kids did. And I had a girl one day that challenged me. After I'd rededicated my life to the Lord, I, I kept on going. I didn't, know, I didn't know there was anything wrong with that. And a girl challenged me, Richard, you'll be a stronger Christian if you leave the movies off. Now she wasn't, con con she didn't condemn me. She just said that. And I prayed about it. Because in my heart, earnestly, I wanted to love the Lord and serve the Lord. I really did. I just had a blind spot here. So I took her up on it. And I quit going for six months. At the end of six months, my whole attitudes and mental images had changed. The things I used to have some big problems with, I didn't have so much problem with them anymore. Now, if the movies were like that in those days, I hate to think what they're like today. I want to ask you, is he Lord of your amusement life? When I was in high school, I went to all the football games. Went to some basketball games. I loved football. I wasn't a very good player, but I loved it. Mail and manual always had to about about Thanksgiving time and I never missed one of those games I never missed any of the football games went to all of them but they didn't play on Sunday and they didn't play on Wednesday and when revival came after I'd rededicated my life to the Lord I didn't go on revival nights now, I'm not trying to preach to you a biography I want to just ask some questions is Jesus Lord of your amusement life?
as a Christian. He is Lord. He is Lord. What does Lord mean? Sovereign, ruler, boss, director, the one to whom I go to ask everything before I do anything. Sheldon wrote a book called In His Steps. It's a story of a preacher who was preaching in a church and a, an old man came in. He said, uh, could I say a word? He, he came up and he said, this week I've been hungry and had this problem, this problem, and I went to several of the members of your church and all of them were too busy to help me. To make a long story short, that experience that day changed the preacher and the church. And a number of those in the membership decided that they would ask before anything they did, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus deal with this? The editor of the paper was a member of the church. And so they brought to him beer and whiskey ads and he said, what would Jesus do about this? And he rejected them. They brought to him some ads and articles that were questionable and he searched his mind, what would Jesus do about this? And he rejected them and the whole city got changed because of that one question, what would Jesus do? Now, I just want to ask, is Jesus Lord? Is he Lord of our amusement life? Is he Lord of our stewardship? God planned for us to live on nine-tenths of what we get. If we get $1,000, we'd live on 900. If we get $100, we'd live on 90. If we get $10, we'd live on nine. You say, that's pretty hard. Yeah. But you can never outgive God. God will be no man's debtor. It is impossible to outgive God. Jesus said the way to get is to give. Now, he didn't say that was the motive for giving. You can't come and say, well, I'm going to give today because I believe God will give me a whole lot back. No, that's not the way it works. But when you give out of a love of your heart because Jesus is Lord, and you give to him, whether you can afford it or not, you give to him, you just watch. Philippians 4.19 is true. My God shall supply all your need, not your luxuries, not a Lincoln Continental necessarily, not two chickens in every oven, but your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Is Jesus Lord of your music? Now, preacher, you've gone to meddling now. Is Jesus Lord of your music? Does the music you listen to honor Jesus? Or is it some kind of a thing that just appeals to your flesh? There are three kinds of music. One is heel music. The other is head music. The other is heart music. Now, I grew up on Grand Ole Opry. I like it. Way back in the hills, as a boy I once wandered. You know, all that kind of thing. But in those days, they used those musics, the music was, were ballads. They were ballads. They weren't all suggestive about I ran off with my best friend's wife or husband. Or I just love spending the night with you and sleeping next to you and all those things. I just want to ask you, does your music honor the Lord? 
Is it all that rock music that came from the jungles of Africa where they don't have morals? And it has led America to have no morals. The drugs and the rock music go together. You say, preacher, I don't like what you're preaching. The devil doesn't either. Classify yourself and come back next Sunday. I want to ask you, is he Lord of your service? Is he Lord of your habits? Is he Lord of your social life? Is he Lord of your trials? Tempted and tried, you've all made to wonder. You know, some people react different to trials. Some folks, when they face trials and hurts along the way, they get bitter. They just clam up and they close in. They say, I'm just, I'm going to, I've had disappointments. I've known some people, you know, divorce is a terrible thing. It's like a de death. And I've known some people who've had to go through the tragedy of divorce. Either their parents getting divorced or them, they themselves getting divorced. And they have such an awful, awful time with it. They never recover. And they get bitter at God and they take away from God and they go off and blame God. And they say, where was God when all this was going on? Well, the Lord is standing right in the shadows waiting for you to look to him. Is he Lord of your trials when the trials come? Is he Lord when the, when the test, tempter comes? Is he Lord when death comes? Death of a loved one. Death of a little child. Is Jesus Lord? And then to the other group, and I'll have to be finished. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Have you invited him into your heart to be your personal Savior and Lord? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Right here in the auditorium, or by radio, you could call on Jesus today and invite him to come in and be your Lord. I want to urge you to do it. Jesus was God tabernacling in human flesh. He came into his own and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power, the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And when Jesus went to Calvary, he looked into the face of God the Father and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And in that moment, God the Father and God the Son made an eternal agreement that whosoever would believe in Jesus would not perish, but have everlasting life. And, and then he died and three days later he was raised from the grave and he's alive today. And he wants to live in your life as your Lord and your Savior. Will you receive him? The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. May we pray. Our Father, we thank thee that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we pray that we will accept what thy word teaches about him being sovereign and boss and director and the one in charge of our lives. And may we look to him. We pray that every saved person will say, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And every unsaved person will say, Lord, I want to be saved. I want Jesus to be ruler of my life. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let us stand, please.
What's our hymn number? 385. 385. I can hear the Savior calling, take thy cross and follow me. I can hear the Savior calling, 385. Where he leads me, I will follow. Now listen, after you've found that, look this way just a moment. You are very important to the Lord. God has a wonderful plan for your life. But the only way that plan can be fulfilled is for us to make Jesus Lord. First of all, if we're not saved, we need to come and say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to receive you as my boss, my Lord, my Savior. And I believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to cover my sins. And I want to ask you to say,